Well, hey, Northside family, it's so sure good to be able to see all of you uh, by way of video this weekend. I'm so thankful that you could be here with us for this time to celebrate. And uh, I just have to say, what a great time of worship. And that last song that the worship team did on Go Tell It on the Mountain, if that don't light your fire, your wood's wet, as they say down home. Uh, What a, a joyful expression of our worship and the excitement of being able to tell other people about this wonderful message of Christmas. And that's what we have this, this time and this year. And regardless of where you are, I know that feeling where Sue Lynn and I will be kind of on our couch on, on the weekend watching the service and celebrating and joining in on that. So regardless of where you are in your car, at home, at work, wherever it might be, we're really glad that you're here. And we welcome you into this time of opening God's word and letting him encourage us on this very special message of joy on the weekend coming before Christmas. Uh, what a thrill it is to be able to just kind of uh, celebrate everything that goes on in, in the, the story of Christmas. And if uh, you have a Bible, we just want to dive right into this and let God uh, share this message with us uh, that was given so long ago by the angels to the shepherds and the joy that we can have. Now, I'm going to be going out of uh, the New Living Translation, and it's in Luke chapter 2, and it'll begin with uh, verse 8. We'll go all the way through verse 20, but we'll take it just a little bit at a time because when we stop and think about the essence of of joy in our life and and the year that we've had and all the struggles and the uh, the threats to to our our blessing existence and all those kinds of things, it tests the joy, tests our faith to see whether we're really looking to God for the strength of our life and the hope for the future and eternity. And, And this message that the angels gave the shepherds is one that was uh, one of the most incredible birth announcements of Jesus, the Son of God, leaving heaven and coming to earth to live and to love and to die in our place and to come back for us one day. So if you want to follow along, uh, you can dive right in with me. But let me begin by simply saying the first thing that I think we need to notice before we read these couple of verses, uh, of verses 8 and 9 in Luke chapter 2, is simply this to understand that God loves to overjoy overlooked people. He loves to do that. Now, say that with me if it kind of appears on the screen. God loves to overjoy overlooked people. And that's who the shepherds were. Let's take a look and read verses 8 and 9 from Luke chapter 2. It says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, And they were terrified. Now, first of all, who are these guys? Well, they were simple shepherds out on the hillside and uh, happened to be nearby to Bethlehem. And they were, they were Jewish uh, fellows. So they were believers. They knew uh, of God, uh, the Old Testament. They knew he had promised a Messiah. And they knew that someday a, a rescuer, a savior, a deliverer would come. But God had been silent for 400 years. So they didn't really know exactly when is he gonna speak next? They were discounted by most of society. Shepherds were really looked down upon and trying to be uh, avoided by most all of culture. Their, their testimony wasn't even admissible in a court of law. Uh, they were pretty smelly. They're always around sheep, so nobody really wanted to be around them. So everybody had kind of written them off, written them off uh, out of life and, and certainly relationship. But I think when this happened, 
I don't know which shepherd would have probably just kind of eyes bugged and said at first, but they all had to be thinking what just happened because it all came on in a sudden and they were surrounded and they were shook and it wasn't a hallucination. There may be a kind of a hallucination here or there that a person might have from time to time where they thought they saw something, but all the people don't have the same hallucination at the same time. So they knew this was really something. How would you respond to an angel visit? What, what would happen? I, I love looking at the angel visits in the Bible. Uh, I love what uh, uh, the, the moment the, the story is told of Gabriel speaking the angel to, to Mary and, and letting her know what God was up to. And Joseph needed an angel visit and, and got, got one of the reassurance that God is in this whole thing. I look back at the Old Testament at Gideon. What a, what a great leader, but what low self-esteem. An angel came to him to let him know God's going to use him. And he greets him by saying, uh, greetings, O mighty warrior. And, and Gideon just says, I'm the least in my family, the least tribe in Israel. And, and nobody's ever said that to me before. But God had something for him to do. But probably one of my favorite stories of an angel visit is Zechariah. And that's just back in the chapter before in Luke chapter 1. It's a story where an angel visits uh, Zechariah, who was to become the, the father of John the Baptist, but he and his wife Elizabeth are old, and they don't think that's going to really be uh, uh, happening, you know, uh, at all. So he was pretty reluctant to believe, and he, he literally uh, asks the angel for two forms of identification. And always remember, don't do that if there's an angel visit. Make sure that whenever God speaks to our heart in some way through his his spirit, his word, his people, that we're listening carefully. But Zechariah, with this angel visit, just said, no, I'm going to have to have a little more proof. And the angel says, okay, you won't be able to speak for several months, and we'll see how that goes. You see, these shepherds could have reacted in a number of ways, but it begins by them understanding that this is, this is something very special. And they had to have that feeling of, why would it happen to them? Everyone else had looked down upon them. No one wanted to be around them. That's why they're out on the hillside. They, they were accused of stealing uh, probably sheep and, and uh, having their sheep feed on other people's pastures and they, they just had a bad reputation. You see, God loves to bring joy to people who feel overlooked in life. And if you feel that way today on any level, please know this message of his joy is for you. I love what the Quest Bible says. The, the Quest Bible is one of my favorite ones because it's, uh, uh, it has 6,000 short questions and short answers. Uh, it's just perfect for an ADD kind of person like me that says, okay, okay, what I have to remember, got a couple of sentences, I've got it. And in, in the Quest Bible on the side, it simply says, perhaps God spoke to the shepherds first because all of humanity needed such cleansing. And they needed to know that God was not going to overlook anybody. Now, this story today that we'll look at and unpack a little further, a lot of Christmas carols have been written on that. And I want to have a little fun with you today because, again, I know the challenge of when we have the empty room here in the filming, and yet when it's just us together, uh, wherever you might be listening and holding on to God's word in this message time, uh, sometimes we just got to engage a little further. So I want to go out on a limb. I want to play a little game, all right? It's a seven-game series. It's name the carol or fill in the blank of 
the Christmas carol. And most all of these have been generated by this, this passage in this story of the shepherd's visit from the angels and the message of joy that God gave to them. So, all right, here, just dive in and keep score and have fun with this. If you're by yourself, just keep score how you do, but it might be a little friendly Christmas competition. So here we go. On the very first carol, uh, when I stop, you try to fill it in and, and then you get a point, all right? Like I say, there's seven because we're in the playoffs. We gotta have a tiebreaker if we need it. Here's number one, the first Noel. Now fill in the blank. The first Noel, the angels did say, was to, okay, who's got that one, all right? Who's got it out there? Certain poor shepherds. If you got the word certain, then you know that uh, uh, that, that is the, the point on, on this Christmas carol. That's what this was all about. Certain poor shepherds in fields where they lay. Now the second carol, number two, here we go. <laughs> it came upon a midnight, what do you got? Okay, if you're really having trouble thinking that, just think in the uh, cardio area on a cardio version, the last word they say is clear, all right? It came upon a midnight clear. Whoever got that point, keep score. Number three, silent night. And you're saying, oh, this is gonna be easy. Well, it probably will be, but let's jump to verse two. Silent night, holy night, shepherds, anybody got that? Quake. Okay, who came up with quake? That's right, at the site. Glory stream from heaven afar. Heavenly hosts sing hallelujah. One of our favorite Christmas carols. Next one. Now, this one gets a little tough. All right, number four. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild and fill in the blank. And if you can fill in that next phrase, you've got a good handle on the whole gospel. God and sinners reconciled. That's the essence of what God was doing in sending his son, Jesus. All right, here we go. Carol number five, you just heard it. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills, and blank. Should be an easy one. Everywhere, if you got everywhere, you got that point. Number six, angels we have heard on High, sweetly singing or the, where are we? Okay, think John Candy, Steve Martin, Thanksgiving movie, planes, trains, and automobiles without the trains and automobiles, all right? Sweetly singing on the planes. And here we go. If you need a tiebreaker uh, in your, your, your group that's watching today, here's the last one. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. And take it from there. Anybody got that? To save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. See, I, I love these carols. Not just because of the melody and the harmony and the familiarity. And not because they just remind me of as a kid growing up on a, a Sunday night before Christmas, uh, after church, we'd go caroling to a lot of the shut-in folks and come back after a few snowball fights and have some donuts and hot chocolate and, and warm fuzzy. I love it because of the, of the theology in all of this. See, this was a major event and a moment, and God is making sure they're listening carefully. Now, the second point, we'll move on to verse 10 in a second, and that is that God's joy is great. It's great because it's forever, and it's for everyone. 
In other words, the thing that sets God's joy apart from any other type of joyful experience is it's not temporary. His joy is going to take you through eternity. Listen to verse 10. It says, the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Good news, great joy, everybody, all people, not just you, not just the Jewish people, but everybody. See, Jesus, as he was teaching his followers, he, he sent them out in Luke chapter 10 later on, and he, he, uh, they, they'd, be, they'd begun to follow him, and, and they're doing pretty good. He sends them out, and he gives them the power to not only preach the gospel, but to cast out demons. And, and they all come back for a little retreat afterwards, and they're just jumping up and down. They're high-fiving one another. They're saying, Lord... Demons just, they, they just took off when, when they saw us coming. And they, they listened to the authority of, the, of your name and your power. And it was amazing. And Jesus, in this wonderful moment in Luke 10, after this killer mission trip they've been on, he, he, as they come back, he just says, you know what? As all that was happening, I saw Satan fall from, from, from the sky like lightning. I just, it just reminded me of, of the victory over him. And then he clarifies the moment that Jesus always does that. In the midst of our excitement, he clarifies and defines the moment. He says, but don't, don't get too excited that you can kind of kick a few demons around and overpower them with my power. He says this, take joy in this, simply that your names are written in heaven. That your names are registered in the book of life. That you're going to be with me forever. He says, let that be the joy that you hold on to. It's good news. It's great joy because it's an eternal joy and it's for everybody. Nehemiah in the Old Testament said, the joy of the Lord is our strength. In the midst of a challenging, depressing time, he, he just had a half halftime talk with all the people and said, come on, hang on. God's doing something great. And in the midst of what we're going through, the joy of the Lord that takes us beyond, sees beyond, helps us through. The joy that we have in knowing him and his promise is true is what will get us through this life. That's why Paul tells in Philippians chapter four, uh, rejoice. He said, listen, <laughs> at the risk of being redundant, I'm gonna say it again, rejoice. Let your, your, your joy just come up and, and bubble up and stay up in your life. The Peter says in first Peter chapter one, he says, this is a very unique type of joy. He says the joy that we have, and he knew what joy was because he knew what bitter regret was. When he had denied knowing Jesus, the Bible says he went out and wept bitterly. But when Jesus reinstated him around that little charcoal fire, which was exactly the same scenario where he had denied ever knowing Jesus, he knew that his tears would turn to joy. And he couldn't put it in words. He says in verse 9, it's an inexpressible joy. Today, the joy that God wants you to have in the, the hope and love and joy of this season is not just based on what might happen now or what might deliver us from this moment, but what would take us through eternity, the eternal joy and the available joy that God has for us. Now, the third Third part of this is we look at this story of how joy comes looking for us is that God informs clearly. 
He, he doesn't beat around the bush. The angels don't make it really difficult to understand. Listen in verses 11 and 12. It says, the Savior, here's, here's the angel speaking. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you'll recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And I'm sure at this point they're thinking, whoa. Whoa, I didn't necessarily see this coming. Notice how clear this is. When God informs us in his word, he does it in a very clear way. A savior, a messiah means the same thing. Messiah is the Jewish term for understanding we need to be rescued. We need to be saved from our sinfulness, from ourselves. Born today, all right? We, we got the birth certificate right here. He was not something coming up a little later on. No, 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 no. Already done. Born today. In Bethlehem. In the city of David. You know, right where that is. It's real, really nearby. And, and they mention a sign. Now, there's something about swaddling clothes, if you remember King James language in the Bible on that one. Uh, it, it, uh, in other translations, just say strips of cloth. It means the same thing. It just means if you were rich, you had a blanket, you were wrapped up real tight, the baby. And, and if you're poor, you, you don't have a blanket, you just got a few strips of cloth and you, you try to, to pull the baby just so, so nice and, and close and, and tightly wound and, and, and warm, keep them, keeping them close to you. All that would not have been too much out of common, although I don't think there were probably many, if any, other births in Bethlehem that particular night. But the manger, the manger, the manger stands out incredibly. I love, uh, I was talking with Neil uh, Wyndham this last week, and he was saying, you know, there's something about uh, looking at Isaiah as he reflected back. In chapter one, verses two and three, there's a little mention of an ox and a donkey, he says, I just wonder, I wonder if it's a little preview of the nativity because at that point Isaiah was, was writing and saying that Israel had forgotten all about God and he was simply saying that, you know, even an ox knows its owner and even a donkey understands its master's care that feeds him, but Israel, you, you don't even realize what I've done for you. And maybe there's a little bit of a symbol uh, there reminding the nation that the care that is taken for animals uh, is, is very similar to the loving care that God has. But he was clear. This message is very clear. Now, there's a lot of things in the Bible that perhaps might be complex and hard to exactly find and figure out, you know, whether symbolic or, or literal. But to understand God is speaking clearly, a Savior today, Bethlehem, Little strips of cloth swaddling in a manger. There wasn't any other little baby that was in a manger. That perhaps that first experience might have been the smell of a manger in a barn. And perhaps a cow just gently kind of licking the head of the little baby because that's right where the animal would feed. God says, I humbly am allowing my son to enter the earth to the most overlooked people with the greatest joy they'll ever know by being forgiven and being with me forever. And in 
as clearly as I can say it. See, all throughout the Bible, there's a lot of clear messages. John the Baptist, really clear. Repent, (laughs) turn away from your sins. A few Pharisees show up at the Jordan River and he says, hey, I don't like your behavior. You haven't shown me that you have any repentance towards God. You're all a bunch of hypocrites. So you change your behavior before we get in the water. I mean, that's pretty bold. That's very clear message to the religious uh, proud people back then. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. It doesn't get any clearer than that. No man comes to the Father except through me. Peter said on the day of Pentecost, this same Jesus that you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ, Savior, Messiah. So if your hearts are broken and you believe, then repent, turn your life around and be baptized. Receive the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of his spirit. Very clear. Paul talking to this group of philosophers at Athens and, and uh, they don't really care about uh, God. They even have a little idol that says to the unknown God. And he says, the one that you know you missed, I know personally, let me tell you all about it. Here's what he did. He made all of us from one man and here's what he's done through the years. And then he turns the corner as he's ending that little message and he says, but all these times of ignorance, God has winked at. He's kind of said, boys will be boys. But right now, He's calling all men to repentance. See, that's a message sometimes we miss, but it's clear. It's right there in the word of God. Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, you all make it hard to enter in the kingdom of heaven. And I'm here to let people know it's much easier than you make it if you believe. I love this series we just came off of in Hebrews. Hebrews eleven six. it simply says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever comes to him must believe he exists and he rewards those who who diligently seek him. See, God is always very clear. And the angels, they made it easy to GPS this thing so they could follow and they could see. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves now is are we as believers making this message clear for people? Are we really being able to help people understand that? See, all throughout the Old Testament, uh, prophecy from different ones like Isaiah, Micah, uh, and, and several others, certainly David in the Psalms, you, you, you see that there's kind of little breadcrumbs that pave the way for people to see and understand when Jesus would come to be the Savior. I, Isaiah 7 says, a sign will be given, a virgin will conceive, she'll give birth to a son, his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. That was a tremendous prophecy for people to understand, to be able to look and to see what would be coming up. Micah chapter five, verse two, it says, O Bethlehem, the small little village in Judah, a ruler will come for, uh, for Israel from you, whose origins will be from a distant past. See, God is making it as clear as it can. The question is, Is our belief, is our teaching, is our behavior, is our fellowship, is our message, is our outreach as believers in Jesus Christ, are we making it clear? Are we laying down some breadcrumbs for people to find their path spiritually home? Jesus said, let your light shine before men. They'll see your good deeds and they'll glorify your father in heaven. Now, the fourth only five. So take heart. All right. Here's, here's number four. God affirms loudly. He informs clearly, but he affirms his message loudly. 
Listen to verses 13 and 14. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. An incredible moment of celebration and proclamation. It was suddenly, it was the heavenly armies, not just a few, not just a couple of squadrons, not a few representatives. It was a whole lot of angels showing up, praising God as only they could do, glorifying God as only they could do. And they simply said, peace on the earth and peace out. They, they got to the point really quickly and said, here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to be aware of. Uh, uh, and it was done in such an incredible way. You see, God, when it's time for an announcement, he goes over the top. I remember when we uh, lived in Bloomington, uh, we were on staff at a church there, uh, Sherwood Oaks, a Christian church. Great time, great people there. Uh, I, I was in charge of a couple of things, a little bit of small group discipleship, a little bullpen preaching here or there, and uh, music and some worship stuff just to kind of help get it off the ground a little bit. <clears throat> and uh, I'll never forget, I met a guy, Ray Kramer, he and his wife, Molly. Dear, dear people, Ray was the head of the band's department at IU School of Music, all right? Very accomplished, but very humble, very godly type of guy and family. And uh, uh, when he saw I was trying to put together a little Christmas musical that had, oh, maybe a little piano, this and that, uh, I had some orchestration available, but, you know, I didn't know any of the players or who all we had. And he came up to me and said, hey, uh, George, I'm Ray. And I said, oh, Ray, I've heard all about you. You know, just uh, uh, heard, heard the pet band at halftime the other night. You guys are great. And, and he just simply said, listen, uh, this thing you're wanting to try to do, he says, I just want to let you know, I got about 30 Christian kids that are getting their degree here. Uh, and I have them over after every major thing we do. And uh, just a little pizza, just kind of a little mentoring and fellowship, discipleship kind of a thing. He said, so if you want some orchestra going on, he said, I can get you 30-piece orchestra, full complement of orchestra, strings, uh, brass, everything you want. And I thought, I have died and gone to heaven. So here we go. And here's Ray. And he gets his kids, and they're phenomenal players. And, and we get this choir together, and we're, and we're just celebrating Christmas as good as we can, and I, I'm, uh, I'm up front kind of, you know, hitting the choir here, and he's behind me with the orchestra right there. I needed a rearview mirror because every time he got big, I wanted to pretend that I knew what I was doing and bringing in the altos and this and that, and it was just a phenomenal experience of riding his tremendous ability and recruitment to celebrate Christmas. I'll never forget one of the church leaders came up to me afterwards, and he was really upset, and I thought the thing went great, and he just simply said, why didn't you tell me? I, I said, I, we did. We put a little promo out. It was only one night, just one Sunday night. He said, no, why didn't you tell me this was going to be good? And I'd have brought some friends. And I'm thinking, uh, I'll let you know next time. What was incredible was when you get a big orchestra together like that or a lot of voices, any type of solemn, sacred proclamation that just says how good God is with the best you can do. It doesn't have to be that. But when it is that, it goes over the top. Psalm 150, there is a resounding to the symbols, And let everything that has breath 
Praise the Lord. And that's what the moment was. And I think we understand the phrase go big or go home. And this was a moment that everything went really big. How did that look? How did that feel to the shepherds when they're not only just getting this one angel telling us what God has done and what's coming up and what what we need to check out. All of a sudden here is like all of heaven and they're surrounded in this incredible way. And I, I think, did they feel like it's the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, you know, up there in robes? I, I would lean a little more towards kind of a, oh, a spiritualized version of Michael Jackson Thriller, and everybody's all kind of coming out from everywhere with a few moves, celebrating the goodness of God. Okay, totally different context. All to say, it was huge. God does big stuff for us, and God does stuff big. And these shepherds needed to hear and needed to hold on to this moment and this experience. And my concern with all of that is sometimes we substitute everything else, don't we? Oh, it, it, it'll, I mean, with all due respect, how many times can you rock around the Christmas tree? In, in all honesty, do we get caught? Or, or what song? is the most influential, what message is the most influential within our heart? These shepherds knew beyond the shadow of a doubt, this is a big deal. God's been quiet for 400 years and now he's speaking and I'll be doggone, he's speaking to us. And for all of us today that are listening and engaging, he is speaking to you. And he's inviting you to encounter this truth, his joy that is inexpressible, that you can't put into words because it's eternal and it's available to everybody who will believe in him. This joy he wants you to have and hold on to throughout this life and on into eternity. That brings us to the last point. And the last point is our passion in telling others about him is directly related to the encounter we have with him. The passion we have in telling others about him is going to affect the encounter and be related by how we have spent time with him. Listen what happened. Verses 15 through 20, when the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that's happened, which the Lord's told us about. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. There was a baby lying in the manger. Seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying, praising God for all they'd heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Everything they were told, they saw. And they decided, we're going we're gonna to go, we're going to hurry, we're going to see, we're going to verify. And when they verified, they told everybody everything. It wasn't about them. They, they weren't saying, you know what, I've been doing this for 40 years. That, that, that. It was not about that. Well, you know, there was no good old boy kind of a thing. This overwhelmed them. They were overjoyed and they were overlooked, but not any more. And my question is, can we tell 
clearly and passionately, consistently, appropriately, and in harmony, this message to other people with our life, with our love in relationships, and with the way that we honor God. If we do, they will be astonished. Peter says in his first letter, chapter two, live such good lives among the, other, uh, among the unbelievers so that even if they accuse us of doing wrong, if they're critical of us, they'll glorify God on the day that he visits us. In other words, your visible life of faith and joy will be the sermon that's preached to them. And they'll hear and they'll understand. See, that's our role is to see and to know and to experience and trust and to tell and to live it out. Mary was quiet, the Bible says. She's just taking all this in. Her role is totally different. But the shepherds, they got to get back to work. And they go back to work, but they're changed. They're never to be the same. Please know that joy started with them. Now, the question that we have to ask ourselves, I think, today is why maybe are we so reluctant? Why, why are we, we reluctant to share sometimes this great message? I, I think we have to ask ourselves, maybe we're not convinced deeply about the message. Maybe we, we are just thinking, well, I, 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 I just, mm, I, I kind of know a little bit about that, but I'm not sure I'm deeply convicted about it and, and, and I'm owning it. Or, or maybe we're just a little hesitant sometimes as believers because we expect the resistance of the critics who will disagree that we don't even need to be rescued. We'll argue about what is sin and what isn't sin. And next thing you know, the message just get tossed, gets tossed aside. Maybe we haven't gazed long enough at the star, at the manger, at the cross, and at the empty tomb. Maybe we need to just fix our eyes on what happened and what would happen in the life of Jesus. Or maybe we've let culture influence us as the world seems to tug away from God farther and farther, one tweet and one post at a time. It has been a very distracting year, without question. But this message of Jesus and the joy and the hope that we have in him, even in the midst of being preoccupied and even petrified on some levels for our health, our education, locally, personally, globally, Financially, all those threats need to allow themselves to be put into perspective by this message at Christmas as joy came looking for those shepherds and for all of humanity. Now, I want to take a moment and just kind of review, if we can, all right? We've covered a lot today. Number one, God loves to overjoy, overlook people. I hope you know that in your life. And if you feel overlooked or you sense others that are overlooked, please know he wants to overjoy you and them and everyone with this message. The second point was to understand his joy is great. It's different than any other kind of joy because the joy that God gives is forever 
and for everyone, every person. This was tough for the Jewish people to even consider the idea that Gentiles would be uh, getting an invitation to this party. The third thing we mentioned was his information is clear. God always informs us clearly if we'll just take time to look and to see. The, the, the next point was he affirms his me- message loudly. You gotta, you gotta hear the, the volume that came from heaven as, as the, the skies just split wide open. The heavens couldn't be quiet. They had to announce, all of heaven had to just say to the earth, you need to know what's going to happen. And heaven and nature sing. That is the joy and the desire of God's heart to unify. Even in Jesus' prayer, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The final point was simply, therefore, shouldn't we deepen our experiences with him so we can effectively tell others about him? So what I want to do right now in reflecting on that, all throughout the series, uh, Nate's had us try to reflect on on something. I, I want to do it a little different way. I want one reflection question, just one, but I want to give you some multiple choice answers in this. And the reflective question, it begins with simply this, do I need to, and then a dot, dot, dot. Be ready for the dot, dot, dot. Do I need to, number one, be more convinced of the truth of God's plan of salvation? Maybe for some of us today, we we realize, you know what, I just need to open the Bible more and, and I just need to let God's truth become more comfortable, let it roll off my tongue a little bit easier. Uh, let me be quick to enter into those, those discussions because I need to be more convinced of his truth. Maybe that's, you need to pick letter A today. Or maybe it's letter B for you. Maybe in asking yourself, do I need to have a better understanding of the broadness of his amazing grace since his joy is for all people? Maybe that's what you need to say. You say, I know the basics. I just need to be reminded this is for everybody. It's for the people that I don't really know. It's the people that I don't necessarily want to hang out with. It is for everybody. And there can be no discrimination of any kind. God says, I want you all to become my children of faith. You are my creation, but he wants us to become his children by believing in his son. Maybe letter C, you need to pick. And that's to have a greater urgency since the Lord's return is a shorter time today than it was yesterday. And so is my opportunity to share his message with those around me. Do you sense that urgency? Do you sense the time that we have is less today than it was yesterday? Or maybe, maybe you need to just letter D. Maybe you would say today, George, I I hear, I've known all about this story but I'm not sure I ever accepted Jesus into my heart. And we just encourage you right now where you are to simply say, God, I believe this message of Jesus coming to earth. Maybe 
you need to accept into your heart this Jesus, this Savior, God's Son who left heaven for you so that you can receive this great, great joy. Let us know. Call in, email in, text in. Let us know how we can come alongside you because joy is coming after you. God has sent his joy for you, but sometimes we've just turned away. And I pray that today, as we take this moment to reflect and take this moment to decide and to choose what might be the thing God's calling us to do, I pray that his blessing will be upon all of you, Northside family and friends. We love you. May it be a great Christmas. We'll see you soon.